I'm John Caldera, president of Independence Institute. John Fund is the national affairs columnist for National Review magazine. You've read his work in the Wall Street Journal, you've seen him on Fox News, and few are as well qualified to speculate on how the drama surrounding Joe Biden's potential run for re-election affects what goes on here in Colorado. You know, because of Jared Polis. This is the audio version of our television show, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that program by going to youtube.com and searching for our channel, IITV, that stands for Independence Institute Television, or just go to thinkfreedom.org. I hope you enjoy this discussion. There is one guy in the whole nation that knows more about every state and every bit of politics going on in the states. I don't know how he does it. It must mean he has no life. John Fund, columnist for, well, just about everything, including National, National Review, Review. FoxNews.com, and the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, where I'm one of the editors of the Hotline Newsletter, which everyone in your audience is welcome to sign up for for free. It is actually one of the few things that pop up in my inbox that I read, which, by the way, angers everybody in my office because I don't read anything they send me. People, people want to get this newsletter. This is spectacular. Just go to committeeunleashedprosperity.org, and there's a place to sign up. It comes out five days a week. This started when the pandemic started because it when was the lockdown so started. lockdown started. Because the policies were so stupid. It was my, our good friend Steve Moore. It was uh, Art, Laffer, Art Laffer, Larry Kudlow, and uh, Phil Kirpin, who's uh, with Americans for Commitment, and, and Steve Forbes. And Steve Forbes, yes. Right. And we all agreed that the lockdowns were insane. In fact, they had never been the approved policy for dealing with the pandemic until then. Um, it was astonishing, but for 600 years since the Black Plague, uh, we, there was a consensus in the medical scientific community. You protect the vulnerable and the elderly in a pandemic, and you don't lock down because the ramifications of that, the unintended consequences, uh, the bad news from, you know, drug, increased drug and alcohol use to spousal abuse to depression to lost appointments for cancer or heart treatment uh, are far worse. And uh, you obviously oh, and, take precautions. And also, by the way, the economic devastation of printing money out of nowhere to pay people not to work uh, results in, uh, what's that thing, inflation and all sorts of other problems. And I would argue the unseen cost of putting people on the dole and taking away the dignity of work and the morality problems we're seeing now of people who've lost, lost the American dream, that, that idea that you work and you get dignity, you get, you get identity, you actually earn. 50% of Americans are not going back to the office. Now, for a lot of people who have hybrid work or can work at home, right. that's fine. But you also lose something with that. You lose something with working with colleagues and all of that. By the way, on, on Biden's inflation, yep. you know the joke is he finally shot the Chinese balloon down only because he was criticized for saying, well, you've never done anything else about inflation until now. <laughs> just just get, get, the, get the report. It's, it's been great. And you've been proven right on this, the whole, the whole team, on all, on all the issues. Well, let me... Just leave your audience with this before we move on. Uh, there was one country that held the line and did things the old-fashioned way, 
protected the vulnerable and the elderly, but basically let life go on with some precautions. And that was Sweden. Of all now, places. Now, the left, the left used to love Sweden. It was progressive. It was socialist. It was all of that. Well, Sweden has changed. Sweden now has more school choice and more privatization than the U.S., frankly, and uh, tax rates that are almost about the same as the U.S. So what the Swedes did is they left it to their epidemiologists and their experts because they have a lot more clout in that country. The decisions are actually made by the health ministry, not by the politicians. The politicians, in theory, can override them, but what the epidemiologists said is the rest of the world can go crazy, uh, but we're not. We believe that this is the proper approach. It's been the proper approach Didn't for Didn't we follow of years. the science? That's what I kept hearing. We're following the science. Well, we followed the political science. What's We've, the difference? Well, Anthony Fauci is a political scientist, not a real scientist. He's a bureaucrat who wanted to build his empire, and this was the best thing that ever happened to him and to his colleagues. So the Swedes basically did the following. They protected the elderly and the vulnerable. They kept schools open. Uh, they limited crowds to no more than 500. They did a few other things. 500. Yeah, 500. No, no masking. And they, we now have the results after three years. Their overall death rate, which includes the excess deaths that COVID caused in other countries, is the lowest in Europe. Their economy took not a hit at all because they didn't shock down. Um, Alcohol problems, drug problems, depression, you name it. They have much less of it than any other European country. It worked. We have the numbers. And the fact that you haven't heard about it, and your audience probably hasn't heard about it, is because the media doesn't want you to know because it would make them have egg all over their face. Actually, it would, except we can't afford eggs anymore. The deaths in the United States, the lowest death rate is among children. So the people we have hurt the most, the people we have taken out of school, the people that we took away a year, a year and a half, sometimes two years of the most crucial part of their lives, their education, and have destroyed them for decades to come, were the ones who were by far the least vulnerable. You know, already the sin of putting them in, in these terrible government schools, many of them, is now, is now multiplied leveraged to another insult. It makes you wonder, what more can we give the Chinese? Well, what we want to do is make sure this doesn't happen again under different pretexts. You know, we already are hearing that the lockdowns were great. They worked so well, compliance was such. We need to do this for climate change. The way to get finally get those climate change numbers, the carbon emissions down, is start having lockdowns. And There'll be another pandemic, some other disease. Who knows what, the what may come out of China? They usually come out of China. Uh, we want to make sure that the lessons of the lockdown and that they didn't work are seared into people's minds, even if they're not seared into the politicians' minds. The people will no longer accept it if it's tried again. Viruses and balloons. All right, let's, let's go to Colorado, and then let's take it out from there. Colorado experienced its own revolution in November. I don't know if you know, but a ridiculously progressive state went over a progressive cliff. We were going to experience a red wave here. I don't know if you heard, but the whole country was. But even here, there was a shot, a shot of getting our state Senate back. But at least we we're going to get 
seats that way. We didn't get anything. Republicans lost everything they could on all the state side, on the U.S. Senate, on House seats, state Senate, state House, U.S. Senate, U.S. House, um, all of it, all of it. Is the Republican Party dead here? From your perspective, looking out among the other states, I, I look at New York, I look at California, at least Republicans won some state-level seats there. I'm talking about state legislatures. It didn't here. Why not? Well, I think you have to go back almost 20 years. Colorado was one of the first states to go to all-male voting. And that has been a big problem because all-male voting, as it's practiced in Colorado, as you've proven because you filed lawsuits against it, uh, is a recipe for manipulation of the vote, um, distortions in the vote, anomalies in the vote. A bunch of people are voting without the same information. You can vote weeks in advance. And sometimes it can even lead to direct fraud. And so I think that there's a, an added burden there because every state that has gone to all mail-in voting, um, conservatives stopped winning. Uh, Washington State, Oregon, Colorado. Uh, I don't think it's the full explanation, but I think that's part of the, that's part of the anchor uh, that's weighing you down here. I would argue it's not voter fraud. It is that the left knows how to harvest ballots, mostly legally, uh, because they change the laws. They know how to operate the laws. They know how to look who hasn't voted. They've got the systems to know how you're going to vote if only we got your ballot. And they work to get your ballot. I don't think right. that team well, does and, it. And, you know, and some of their methods may, they not be, may not be technically legal, originally unethical, because you can go door to door and, shall we say, convince people to vote and even fill out their ballot for them. So that's part of the anchor that's weighing you down here. I do think, though, that there's a little bit more hope than you might think because what I've seen in state after state, you know, even Maryland um, had a Republican governor for eight years. They just finished up. And there's New Jersey had Chris Christie for eight years. And other states, what you see is, you know, there's an old saying in, in Washington that we have a two-party system. Um, one party is the evil party and one party is the stupid party. And uh, let's just say Republicans are the stupid party for purposes for of this For argument's discussion. sake. Just, yeah. And there's some evidence for that. Well, if the evil party does enough evil, people notice. And if they notice, even the stupid party can sometimes take the proper lessons. So I think that now that they've lost everything, and they've been, I think, bitterly disabused of you know, the future red waves coming spontaneously, now is the real, you have to go back to the real work of building the party from the scratch, and also watching what the progressives do now that they have complete and total power. It's not gonna be pretty. You know, I just um, wrote a piece for the hotline about what's happened in Washington State and Oregon, where the progressives have been running rampant for far longer than they have been in Colorado. And Portland and Seattle are falling apart. I was just there in both cities. My sister lives in Portland. And the Seattle Times, just this past weekend, had a piece basically saying, Portland has fallen apart. Its own Democratic congressman says it's broken. Their own congressman. When you say it's falling apart, what does that mean? Well, let's just say after you've um, had your um, catalytic converter stolen and after you've had your tires slashed and after you've seen your kids uh, indoctrinated in school and also can't know how to read and write and after you've tripped over various homeless encampments, you come home, you open up your mail and you see your tax bill. 
Sounds very much like the Denver. Denver. Yes, and Seattle too. So what the Seattle paper, the Seattle Times said is, we're next. We're three to five years behind Portland. We're next. And Portland, by the way, has lost population for four years in a row. I think Denver has gone through a boom the last few years, but I think that could come to a screeching halt if the quality of life here continues to deteriorate the way that it has. And the thing that the thing that's most interesting is who is leaving Seattle and Denver. I'm sorry, in Portland and Denver to some extent. The Willamette Weekly, which is the local alternative paper in Portland, it's the Village like, Voice of Portland. the West World. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They had a cover story last week. Why are they leaving? And they meaning people from Portlandia, people who are culturally liberal and sensitive and diverse and all of that. They're just leaving. They've come to Colorado. Well, again, but you know, but things are catching up to funny, every urban city. It's funny that, you mentioned that, that. That follows the wrong path. Because for the last 15 years, Colorado's population has exploded. And they have come from the failed states. They've California, come from California. They've Washington, come from Oregon. Washington, Oregon, but they've come mostly from California, right. then New York, then Illinois, and then the other states. The outflow, interestingly, has gone to Wyoming, Idaho, Texas, and then Florida, and then other states. So the people who were, I would call them old school Colorado, have gotten out of Dodge, and the others have come in. In the last couple years, that influx has started to slow. And in fact, it's turned into a trickle. Why? Because they can't afford the homes here anymore. It's gotten expensive. And people are getting a little tired of, what did you say? The crime, the catalytic converters, the homeless, the, homeless, the encampments, the feces, the needles, uh, the stolen cars, the stolen cars, the stolen cars. Oh, and the by the way, schools. the stolen cars. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I don't see it getting better anytime real soon. No, but I do see people noticing soon yeah. enough. They already but have. But at the same time, the voters continue to vote for the politicians that have created okay. this problem. Okay, first, we, we talk about Denver. And yeah. I admit that, you know, every city serves a, a purpose, even if it's just to be a bad example. How many more bad examples well, do we have me, in But this let me country? give you a counterexample. You know, Aurora is turning itself around. Aurora Fair is a point. Republican mayor. It elected a Republican majority in the city council. They're actually doing stuff. True. They are. Aurora is, what, the third largest city in the state? Yes. Okay, that shows that some places can turn themselves around, especially if they look slightly to the west and they see Denver and what's happening in Denver. And I think Aurora, and to some extent Colorado Springs, where they have a mayor's race coming up, right. uh, they're having this debate. And I think there is a chance that parts of Colorado can turn around and it's not just all a conversation about Denver. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. But still, those cities have to answer to statewide politicians and state laws, including the high energy rates, including uh, the lax uh, crime um, uh, and sentencing reform. So I talked to a cop just the other day. He arrested a guy for stealing four cars, four cars. And then later the af that afternoon, he arrested the exact same guy for stealing a car. Because in Colorado, it's basically a misdemeanor, particularly if you steal cheaper cars. And so one of my premises is that the left, while they'll never admit it, continues to pass policies that hurt poor people. Well, you know, this is going to put... By the way, let me just finish the thought, which is because among the 
laws he passed is that if you steal cheaper cars is a lesser penalty. So still people drive cheaper cars. Yeah. Who, who other than, you know, I have cheaper cars, but I'm just a cheap bastard, but poor people have cheaper cars. So poor people who live in poorer neighborhoods go to awful government-run schools who are stuck on government-run transit and have cheaper cars, the government really hates them. Oh, and who has to pay more of their, um, um, more of their bill to energy? These people. And their bills are going skyrocketing, thanks again to the same people that's been elected. Well, this is going to put Governor Polis into a very interesting situation. Because as you know, he's been talked about for yeah. possible presidential candidates. I really want, I, I want to jump on this. Uh, let me jump right ahead. It puts him in a really tough position if there's questions about Biden running for a second term. And there now, will be, and there already are. Really? Now tell, me, tell me about this, because Biden is certain Biden is running for a second term. No, uh, Mrs. Biden is certain that he's running for a second term. She, I think, has convinced her husband that he too should want a second term. Why would that change? <laughs> I just, that's, that's, it's an inside yeah. joke. In but but I, I don't doubt it. But I keep seeing Filegate, you know, keeping conf- confidential files in your garage. Um, they're popping up. And it, it, the timing of that right after the election makes me wonder how many in the party know that it's a bad idea for him to run. Well, how many people the percentage of Democrats, want him not to run? Well, we actually have new numbers, um, the ABC poll. Uh, the percentage of Democrats who wanted him to run again right after the midterm election was 57. It's now 38. Uh, among Democrats under the age of 45, it's in the high 20s. Uh, Joe Biden, to summarize, is old, he's tired, and he's out of gas, and he is not someone that anyone in the younger generations looks to for leadership. In addition, you have the potential problems looming. It's not just Filegate, it's Hunter Biden. Uh, it's the fact that um, the White House staff has worked overtime to shield Biden from the media and to shield Biden from embarrassing situations where, shall we say, his cognitive decline would become obvious. Um, Democratic insiders were very upset at the same time they were happy with the midterm elections. They were happy that they dodged the Republican red wave Uh, They were unhappy because they thought, well, this would give us the excuse to ease Biden off stage. Remember, Biden himself ran in 2020 saying, I'm just a transitional figure. Uh, And nobody expected him to, if he won, serve a second term. Well, imagine this. You have the highest percentage of Americans who are dissatisfied with the state of the economy in the country than ever. His approval ratings continue to be in the low 40s. Among independents, he's in the mid-30s or low-30s. You have an increasing number of people who um, have seen through the media smokescreen, and they now realize that the government isn't functioning properly. The Chinese balloon is the latest example of Biden dropping the ball. And they are worried for the following reason. Biden has these problems now. What will they be like in 18 months when he's running for re-election if he runs? And they're worried because, you know, the biggest problem in Hollywood and in Washington is people don't know when to get off the stage. Biden clearly doesn't know how to get off the stage. Um, I think he should take his gold watch and retire, and he can claim a lot of accomplishments for liberalism. 
But no, he's in, you know he and Mrs. Biden have decided he wants to have a third term, a second term. So if I'm if I'm reading you right, and if I'm reading the situation situation right, those on the left on the inside will continue to try to push him off the stage. While that happens, rumors fly. Why I think that's important is that Jared Polis, who obviously has spent a lot of time in Treasure and the national press trying to push this idea that he is a new type of... Craft his image, yes. Yes, that he is a business-friendly, new type of libertarian-ish Democrat, which he ain't. Um, But nationally, he's, he's done very well. I want these rumors to fly because if that happens, the national press is going to drop into Colorado. They're going to keep a better eye on him. And as this new, very progressive, even more progressive legislature comes up with even wackier ideas, this governor might have to choose between being rolled over again, as he has been for four long years by the left wing of his party, or playing to a larger, much more moderate national audience. He's going to have to thread a needle, and it's difficult. But I will say something else that he probably should do if he has national ambitions. You know, Michael Dukakis's campaign for president in 1988 uh, fell apart not just because of uh, his deficiencies as a candidate, but because of Willie Horton yep. and stories about Massachusetts falling apart, the fiscal mess. And his and little head that. popping out of a tank. Well, yeah, that yeah. was that was symbolic. But um, if you're a leader, a governor. Uh, people start to scrutinize what's going on in your state. It would be to Jared Polis's advantage, to the extent that a Colorado governor has executive authority or the bully pulpit, to work with the new mayor of Denver when he takes office and clean up some of this mess or at least make it less visible. Because Den- the, 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 the shine has come off of Denver for a lot of people around the country. You know, They visit here, and it's not the city that they expected to see. It's funny, I talk to people who used to love to come to Denver, enjoy downtown, see a show, come for a concert, come for a Broncos game. And the Broncos have been bad for a long time, but that's not the reason they don't come. They don't come because it's not pleasant anymore. They go out to Red Rocks instead. Yeah, they don't don't come to, to downtown Denver. But it's more than that. As you know, when you put in bad policy, the results don't happen overnight. It takes years for the badness to really take hold. And we're only starting to see the badness. People's electric and gas bills are going through the roof, and it's only the beginning of the bad green policies that this legislature and this governor have put in. What most people don't know, but at the Independence Institute, we've got a much better feeling, is what's happened outside of lawmaking, but inside rulemaking. And what this man has done inside the regulatory state to push all sorts of ridiculous uh, regulatory But that changes. doesn't get any of the coverage. It gets no coverage. And a lot of the mess he's going to make won't be felt for years. And so I worry that a lot of that won't, won't pop out. Well, I think some journalists are going to start paying more attention to Polis. Um, and they're not... They're not going to be Colorado journalists. Well, that but but he but he may care about their opinion because if he's working towards the national stage, you know. Look, uh, the bad news about Jared Polis is, as you indicate, the good news though, at least during the pandemic, there were governors who were much worse. That doesn't uh, make me feel. Any I better. understand, but I'm simply saying that was a part of the image that he was able to solidify, because you know, in the in the land of pygmies, 
the guy who's three foot six, you know, looks tall. And for, among Democratic governors, he did better than almost any other Democratic governor. Almost any other Democratic governor. Uh, unlike, unlike Andrew Cuomo, who didn't kill 9,000 people in nursing homes, for example. But I believe that the balancing act he's going to have to have will be part of his political calculus because he has a story to tell nationally and he has a reality that he has to manage here in Colorado. And I don't know how he's going to handle it, but I do know that Biden is going to be in a lot more trouble getting the nomination than people think right now. Everyone assumes it's a fait accompli. It is not. Uh, the Democratic that, Party does why. not want someone who would be, if he finishes another term, almost 90. And that is my hope here. I've known Jared for a quarter of a century. I really enjoy his company. I've, we've, we've got a actually rather cordial, friendly relationship. He's, he's an engaging, funny guy. Um, he's not a stupid man. He knows better. And I know he knows particularly economic policy better. I know he could stand up to the wackadoos in his party if, if John, he wanted to. This is, this is the devil's advocate. Indeed. Okay, well, I'll play devil's advocate. All right. Um, I think there's a part of him that wants to be more moderate than he is. Uh, but remember, you have a neighboring state, not maybe just a few inches neighboring, <laughs> it's called Arizona. It's just a t- yeah. It's just a point, actually. My, my old dear friend, Kristen Cinema, whom I've mm-hmm. known for 20 years, mm-hmm. started out as a socialist in the Arizona legislature, was originally with the Green Party. As you know, she's sort of changed a little bit over the years. She's become more flexible, more moderate, more business-friendly. And I think that's sincere and genuine. And I've had a con- some conversations with her. She did pay a price for that, though. I mean, she's been run out of the Democratic Party, effectively. Right. She's going to have to run in a three-way race against a Democrat and a Republican for re-election next year. Um, the problem here, John, is this. The crazies that you talk about who are running Colorado are vicious. And what they do to internal opponents of the Democratic Party, well, I mean, it's sort of like what Nancy Pelosi did to moderates in the Democratic House caucus. She basically threatened them and destroyed them if they didn't toe the line. Um, Polis should be better than he is. He's not. He's got real problems and he kowtows to the legislature. But from a purely political calculation, he can look at what they've done to people like Christian Cinema and say, gee, do I really want to get that treatment? Although here in Colorado, it's a term-limited position as governor. And yes, so- but remember, he just started the new term. Right. So now we're going to find out who the real Jared Polis is. I hope so. I really hope so. And that's why the rumors of Biden really hope. All right, let's switch this to a little bit national. I was a reluctant voter for Trump in 16. I was an enthusiastic voter for Trump in 2020. When I saw how poorly he handled the riots, that he waited hours to even comment on on it, I realized I cannot in good conscience vote for this, this guy again, as I think many, many people did. Um, Unreliable temperament is probably the best way of putting it. That would be a kind way to put it. And I think the 2022 election underlined that most people felt the same way, that we're grateful for what I thought was a transformational presidency, policy-wise. Not what he said, not his temperament, policy-wise. Well, he's not been a good campaign uh, candidate picker. 
um, a lot of the people he supported went down in flames. And he, they probably would not have won their primaries without Trump's support. I think that Donald Trump, for all of the good things that he did, politically has not been good for the Republican Party. I think he cost the Republican Party the Senate in 2020, those two Georgia seats. I mean, he went down to yep. Georgia and made speeches saying the election is rigged. They just stole the election. You know, basically, why would you want to vote? Uh, and if you look at where the Republican turnout went down in the runoff in those two races, it went down in counties that were most pro-Trump. So I think he cost the Republicans those two Senate seats. In 22, who did he back? Herschel Walker? Uh, let's just say Herschel Walker deserved his Heisman Trophy. He deserved all of the accolades he got on the playing field. But you could walk through his deepest thoughts and not get your ankles wet. He was a disaster as a candidate. If I know Trump like I think I know Trump, he's not going to back away from, you know, he's going to have to lose this primary. I believe... He may not, he may not even run in the end. Really? So put out your crystal ball. Yours is, uh, uh, you've got a good record on this. Um, we can now have many candidates who policy-wise, and even in tone and tenor, have a lot of Trump-like characters. I, I, for me, um, well, they're all, DeSantis... They've all learned from Trump. Right. They've all learned that there has to be a new tone and a new And De DeSantis, for instance, I think uh, it kind of has it all. But he, he actually understands policy, and it's not just about hacking off people. We can have the policies of Trump without having the baggage of Trump. And if somebody like DeSantis gets the nomination, he will bring along a lot, maybe not all, of the Trumpies. He, I think, would be a dangerous, dangerous candidate if, if that happens. Can, can, can somebody besides Trump win the nomination in two years? Well, the argument for Trump winning the nomination is, look, he, he did it in 2016 by only winning 38% of the primary vote. Yep. Well, he had 17 opponents. And they didn't yep. figure out how to get together and block him. Uh, the theory is, well, this could happen again. Even with 35% of the vote, Trump could get the nomination because the vote will be divided up among three or four candidates. Um, I think there's, something's different, though. They're not going to be 17 candidates. I think they're going to be two, three, or four serious ones besides Trump. And also, everywhere I go, I run into people who love Donald Trump and who don't want to risk a 2024 defeat because of the baggage, uh, because, you know, uh, their spouse or their children, you know, just are not going to vote yep. for him. But they might consider voting for a Pompeo, a Nikki Haley, a DeSantis, a Yunkin, uh, just to name four possible candidates, a Tim Scott. Uh, I think that when we get to the primaries, if Trump is still in the primaries, Trump is going to have to ask, answer the question, why do you poll worse than any other candidate against Biden or other Democrats? And what are you going to do to change people's minds? Because if you He's don't- not going to answer that. Well, the fact that he will answer it not at all or poorly will tell people something. Remember, people in 2024 will want to win. They will not want to have a second Biden term or even worse, Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom or Pete Buttigieg. If Biden wins the primary, which if, if he if, wins the nomination, if he wins the nomination, people will know that they're really voting for Kamala. The, the realities of 
her finishing that second term become very real? I think in the back of people's heads, they know that. That is a terrifying thought. Well, I think that as Biden actually appears on ballots, I think there will be people who will actually bring that up. And I actually don't believe that Joe Biden will be in the primaries. I really don't. I think there will be some way and some reason uh, to find that he has too much baggage in different ways than Trump, but he too will have too much baggage. Filegate and Hunter Biden, which are linked potentially. Um, what makes you say that? Well, Hunter Biden spent most of the formative years where he was selling himself and his access to uh, the big guy, his father, um, in Ukraine and China and other places. Um, he was spending that time in Wilmington, Delaware, where he was living, uh, trying to dry out and not succeeding most of the time. And there's increasing circumstantial evidence that he was currying favor with um, some of his potential clients in other countries, Russia, Ukraine, China, by sending them extremely detailed, knowledgeable, and quite impressive uh, memos on the state of the world. Unlike anything else that has been found in Hunter Biden's laptop, which usually has, shall we say, a more basic, um, immediate needs gratification focus. Um, Where did he get all of this briefing material? Well, you know, in the garage next to the apartment he was living in were these boxes full of classified documents. Now, I'm not suggesting there's any proof of this, but inquiring minds would want to know, did he ever look through those boxes in the garage? What do you think the likelihood is? I think the likelihood that the hearings about Hunter Biden are going to be interesting is very high. And I also believe that the file gate, um, which is being independently investigated by an outside counsel, will also be very interesting. And they will find that uh, Biden has a lot more involvement in the misuse of the classified documents than we know. All right. Pull it aside. And that's before we we get to the recession we're going to have. You're just a delight. All right. Who who are going to be the top four Republican players for president? As of now, Donald Trump, who's announced for president. DeSantis DeSantis is running as soon as the Florida legislature adjourns in July. Uh, Nikki Haley will announce next week. Um, Pompeo is certainly running. Um, Youngkin, I'm not sure about. Uh, He's only been governor for a year. Um, Tim Scott is a possibility. But remember, lots of people position themselves as presidential candidates, and in the end, they don't run, but they've auditioned for for a vice presidential nomination. Abbott? He may want to run. Uh, That's a possibility. Um, I can't take him seriously. Because of the border? No, because of the name. Because all I hear is Lou Costello going, Abbott! But that's just an age thing. On the other side. He's been a good governor of Texas. He's been a very good governor Watch this. If he passes a school choice bill similar to what was passed in Arizona and Iowa and yeah. West Virginia, which is real school choice, if he does that, he's been holding back on pushing that in his first two terms. But if he accomplishes that, he will go to the front ranks of potential presidential candidates because Texas will be the largest state in the country then to have real school choice. On the other side, should Biden not run, I can't imagine 
Kamala becomes much of a push because you don't bet against a vice president who really who, she, she couldn't do it the first time well joe biden failed three times for president before he finally ran look consider the modern democratic party let's look at who votes in democratic primaries not just who calls himself a democrat you go to a state like south carolina which will be the first primary state majority of the light electorate will be african-american New Hampshire and Iowa have been kicked to the curb. Um, If you look, women and minorities are a majority of the Democratic primary vote in most of these states. Women and minorities, and I'm talking about liberal women, very liberal women. Kamala, just by her identification, you know, first woman vice president. I would love it if she became the nominee. That's a separate thing. You're saying she doesn't have a chance. She does have a chance. Now, Newsom says he's not going to run against her because they're both from California. Well, he, um, he don't protest too much. All right, so uh, who, who are the then, top? So I would say Newsom, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, who will nail down the social liberal vote, get lots of money, but who has difficulty playing well with the minority audiences. He got 2% of the vote in South Carolina. And... Another one who will be very, very interesting to watch in the Democratic Party will be someone, well, out of, out of, out of the middle field. It'll either be Jared Polis or Governor Roy Cooper of North Carolina, uh, someone like that. And, you know, there, there's, always a, there's always another possibility, which is Governor Whitmer of Michigan. Watch her. She won a second term big time. Landslide. She captured the legislature for the Democrats for the first time in 40 years. Abortion helped her on that. Well, it can help her in the Democratic primaries. Don't bet against Gretchen Whitmer, who does have political savvy that Kamala Harris does not. Given what you know now, just generically, Will we have a Republican president in 24? Given the state of the economy and the angst and nervousness people have about their future and the incredible percentage of Americans who believe that their children or their grandchildren are going to grow up in a less prosperous America than they did, uh, I think there's going to be incredible pent-up concern about the future of the country. And I don't think Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee, so you won't have the advantage of incumbency there. I don't think Kamala Harris will be the Democratic nominee. I think the Democrats are going to nominate a clearly defined liberal. Clearly defined liberal. So that would not be Jared? Um, look, he, he, he has to know that a lot of things have to go right for him to pass the various toll gates where you know the feminists, the environmentalists, the others are. And I think put it this way. a lot of those. He, yeah, but, but he wouldn't be their favorite. He wouldn't be the favorite of any one of those groups. But that, I, Not even the favorite of the gay rights groups he wouldn't be. Maybe for Buttigieg. So I believe there'll be a clear liberal and there will be someone not named Donald Trump as the Republican nominee. If that's the contrast and the clash, I think the Republicans are favored. Real sidebar. Taiwan. I see sometime in the next few years some sort of military action in no, Taiwan. No. You don't see it? No. No. 
I've heard many military experts contradict. Well, you. their job, their job, is often to sell so, weapon systems. Right. Did I just say that? Yeah. Did I just say that perhaps there's overspending in the Pentagon and that they might? You know, there, there are three reasons why that's not likely not going to happen. First of all, almost everything they want to accomplish can be done through intimidation and bullying, and subversion rather than overt military action. And they've tried that. Uh, they're, they're certainly very, very active. By the way, there are a million Taiwanese living in mainland China. Don't think that they haven't salted them with spies and various other you know, right. people who collab will, would collaborate with them. Secondly, the Ukraine invasion by Russia was a disaster for the Chinese military's plans on Taiwan. The Chinese military is very powerful. It's getting much better. But there's one thing that they do know. They have not fought a land war in 40 years. The last one they did was Vietnam, 79-80. They got their butt kicked. Read the story of the Vietnam-China War of 79-80. It was a disaster for China. They have an untested military. Untested. So, they look at what the Russians, the Russians supposedly had this vaunted military, everything worked. Uh, there was command and control. It's a whole different world. Now, so, excuse Russians, me. Russians don't have money. These guys have all of our money. Russia had enough money to build a very powerful military. It's just it all got wasted in corruption and frittered away in, in old weapon systems. A year ago, would you have predicted the Russians would have failed so dismally in Ukraine? I don't believe that for a second. And I didn't believe it. But it happened. The Chinese look at what happened with Russia, and that gives them pause. Also, for, I'll give Biden credit. Biden has done more than most Democratic presidents to cement our commitment to Taiwan and to provide them with advanced weapon systems. And I do not believe the Chinese, looking forward, think, will think that they will have as weak a president or as, shall we say, a foreign policy uh, naive as president like Joe Biden, they're going to have somebody else. By the time they make the decision to go for Taiwan, there will be an entirely different kind of president in office. It may be a Republican, and if it's a Republican, we certainly are going to stand with Taiwan, and probably if it's a Democrat, we'll stand with Taiwan. All right. I'm going to wrap this up. Before I do, don't want to embarrass you, don't want to put you on the spot, but I want to ask you a question. Which one is your favorite ship? The original Enterprise, of course. Why the original? With the round tubes and this, this stupid and the nascent, what? Why? Bob Justman, who was the, one of the producers on the original Star Trek, said, we wanted a ship that looked as if it was designed by a Navy guy, not a Hollywood set designer. And that's what you got. That looks like a practical, realistic weapon of exploration and war. So I had heard that the number, NCC, was... This was what the U.S. Navy used was an N, and the CC was for the Soviet Union, because by then, they'd both be working together. Pure speculation. That's Pure what I speculation. Heard. That's what I heard. Look, I know my Star Trek concordance almost as well as you do. I'm dubious. You met Shatner many times. I hired Shatner. I for at least a dozen Star Trek conventions. I was you, the guy negotiating. This, this, I, I worked my way through college doing Star Trek and Star Wars conventions. See, this is what amazes me so much. 
you were like one of the first Star Trek goobs way back when. A trekker. We were called trekkers. We weren't goobs or trekkies. We were trekkers. No, you were goobs because we I was trekkers. a goob. I was a, no, I was a complete goob. We were on a higher plane. <laughs> we were on a higher plane. We were the dateless. And um, Hey, once yeah. you went to Star Trek conventions, it, it, it was a great social gathering. It was a great social gathering of the dateless. Uh, but you were before all of us, and you could. So who was who was the coolest of the original Star Trek crew? You met them all. Coolest, coolest, like on one to one, hanging out and talking. Well, to the, them. the guy you really wanted to beer with was Jimmy Doohan. Really? Scotty. Yeah. Why? Oh, he was just hail fellow well met. He was wonderful. Rock on tour. Could imitate anyone's voices. Um, the most interesting and cerebral and intelligent was Leonard Nimoy. Spock. Really. And he had a very varied career. Yeah. I mean, he did a lot of interesting things in his life that had nothing to do with Star Trek. Uh, I would say um, the really, the, the people that have really impressed me were the behind the scenes people that don't get enough attention. DC Fontana, who was one oh, of the early yeah. women uh, screenwriters in Hollywood. In fact, she was called DC because she thought she wouldn't be selling, couldn't sell scripts as easily if she used her feminine name. So it's Dorothy. Dorothy Fontana, yes. Yeah. And she was the, look, Gene Roddenberry was the genius who created Star Trek. Um, the real implementation, the, nut, the nuts and bolts of the ship and how it worked and the story lines came from others. Uh, Gene had some fatal flaws and we all knew them. We didn't talk about them while he was still alive. Because he was chasing skirts mostly. No, Gene, 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 had a, Gene had a towering ego and an insecurity complex at the same time. And I'm sure you've met people like that. And I am like that. No, you're not. Um, and he he basically self-defeated himself. They they put together something that people laugh at today. I tried to like watch the old show with my with, with my kid. The budget, by the way, the budget in 1967 dollars yeah. for each episode was 246 thousand dollars. Yeah, which was. Today it would be over a million, but that's still not very much money. Right. But even then, even then it was a huge amount for Desilu, the studio. Um, Lucille Ball green-lighted Star Trek. Lucille Ball is one of the yeah. unsung heroines of Star Trek. And they lost tons of money. I don't I think they probably got it back on the on the back end. Oh, the syndication was incredibly oh, yeah. profitable. Yeah. Sure. What, no, Star Trek has been a cash cow for thousands of people. Yeah, I know, but later on, but how do how do you explain it? Why the original series, as goofy as it was, these people running around in their pajamas, and it's so politically incorrect by today's standard, isn't it? What, it's you know, 50, 60 years old now? What, why does it have such a warm spot in our hearts? At least it does for me. Remember, this was during the space race. Yep. We were going to the moon. In fact, Star Trek's last season was during the time when we finally reached the moon. The optimism, the sense that the future would be better, the 60s were a crap decade. I mean, Vietnam, riots, race relations, the whole bit. Um, sense of optimism, the sense that people of different backgrounds, different ethnicities could work together. Um, the, the fact that they seemed to have fun while doing their mission. Uh, they all liked each other. The characters, the characters. were well drawn. Spock was, Spock is one of the most iconic characters. Uh, and his perfect complement you know, his, the yin to his yang was Captain Kirk, the man of action versus the man of thought. I mean, 
all, these are tropes that are very familiar in literature. See, I always thought but, about... But yeah. for, for, for television drama, which by the way, because there were only three networks, the average TV show wasn't very good. Right. You, know, you know how you have streaming video, you can have really good stuff. We had three networks. This Star Trek was not great, but it was a really cut above what you normally saw. It was, it was not, you know, Flash Gordon. I'll go a little different. I'll do it like this, which was one, it had these characters that you knew and loved and you love how they interacted. Uh, for me, it was this kind of this weird triangle that Kirk was, was the guy of action and trying to convince him you had a man of logic on this side and a man of emotion on the other side. Dr. McCoy. Dr. McCoy. And they're all, you know, they love each other and they hate each other. And it was just something great oh, about By the that. way, the most gentlemanly and kind and nice of them was DeForest Kelly who played Dr. McCoy. He really? was a true Southern gentleman. Really? Oh, that's so cool. And by the, the, the platform that they used, because they could go anywhere, they could go anywhere, but still, you know, the Federation or whatever had these guidelines. They had the characters. The, the non-interference. Yeah, which, which of course, which you could was right in every episode. Every episode, it was right. great. But, you know, uh, apparently they had guys who would consult with Rand Corporation on on technology and, yeah. and what, what what could and could not happen and uh, what the science might be. Uh, it what I loved about it is that this wasn't that far after after the age of real science fiction. You know, Heinlein and Asimov and all these guys who are coming up with this thoughtful um, science fiction, and they tried their best to put it into visual color TV, and yeah, it looks so weird uh, by today's standard. I remember my old man talking about listening to the radio and actually looking at the radio, and your mind kind of filled in all the stuff. Word pictures, word pictures. And as kids, we would watch this, and our minds filled in all the gaps, even though today, with all the great special effects you see from Hollywood, we, the, the cheesy sets the cheesy sets became something much real, more sophisticated real. in and our own And the bad mind. special yeah. effects were real, and as a kid, that ship was, you know, as real as this chair here, and it was up there, and it was just, it was, it was a magical and, time. And about sixty percent of the stories were good, about twenty percent were mediocre, and about twenty percent were correct. And by television standards, that's a pretty good ratio. And, and and also, I'll add one more thing, and tell me if, if I'm on to something. Today, everything is so diffused, which is cool because everybody can find their little niche of entertainment. There were very few things where society shared a cultural experience. You could talk about it at the water cooler. Right. As work, kids, right? if you grew up in the 70s, you you had, why is it in this show they were beaming people up during the, while the shields were up, and this one they couldn't, and this, and you're arguing with your, your friends. There was a universal knowledge right. base. Everybody knew what you were talking about. And so growing up in the 70s, yeah, we didn't have that much. You know, we didn't have... Hank Aaron, I guess we had Hank Aaron, but we didn't have the Yankees, you didn't have the war, you didn't have this. You, and so we all kind of, at least guys, we would talk about this and we didn't and, have and also, else. And remember, Star Trek really gave incredible inspiration to people who wanted to go into technology, yeah. into space. Um, in fact, there are entire documentaries where people who are now in physics and telemetry and astrophysics say, I got my inspiration from watching Star Trek, and I wasn't a nerd anymore. I was part of something bigger than myself. That's true. Why do so many libertarians like Star Trek? 
I mean, there was well, a lot. Well, some libertarians like Star Wars, which is a little more anarchic. Ugh. Some libertarians like, but I would say <laughs> this. I don't even want to talk to I would say this. Them. Look, they, they supposedly had this world government, but come on, that was off to the side. Every episode, the captain was in charge, and he basically made the call. Right. So it was It was very, it was, it was it, Captain Kirk was an individualist. In every way, shape, Screw and form. Screw the prime I mean, directive. Exactly. Set phasers to kill and find well, me a first green of all, woman. If they'd, if they'd had a show based on the prime directive, it would have gone off the air in two episodes because it would have been boring. Yeah. Can't interfere. What? You, that's, the heart of drama is conflict. It's good stuff. I I wish I met all the folks that uh, you have. And you met Shatner again later. Two years ago, there was a convention on Las Vegas, uh, Freedom Fest. Actually, he was the keynote speaker. He was the keynote speaker. He was the keynote speaker. Uh, he's not bad politically. He's not great, but he's not bad. He's was this after he went up? Yes, just after. Oh. And um, he gave I've gone the to Freedom Fest every now and then. I would well, have loved to. I can, I'll get you the tape. Uh, so he gave a speech, and I sat with him at dinner, and we kissed and made up because we had fought, you know, about, you know, the conventions and contracts and which kind of. Did he remember his... you? Oh, he remembered me. Oh, that's hysterical. Oh yeah, I, I was the guy. Years? I was the guy who stood up to him, but I was the, I was the nineteen-year-old punk who would dare challenge the Hollywood star. Well, it's not the ho- he's a freaking well, captain. As I told he's him, he's a freaking captain. Well, I told him, I you're pay- just some lousy red I, shirt. I'm paying for this convention, Mister Shatner. <laughs> you're a red shirt. He could have you vaporize it in a second. Oh, I stood up to him nonetheless, wow. and he didn't. His phaser didn't work. <laughs> remembered that must have been incredible i would have loved to well he's 93 and let me tell yeah. you if i have half his marbles at age 93 i will consider myself lucky he is an amazing specimen i've never i've never i've i've seen him several times i've never talked to him but if there's ever a guy who is a better self-promoter than shatner then he than almost Shat- he, he is a parody of it he, he, he understands himself, himself. So he knows he knows that he is so over the top, the only way that people will accept him and still like him is if he self-parodies. Didn't he have a book, something like called the Shatner Method, where the, the answer is always yes? Hey, do you want to do this? And it's like, what does it pay? This. Yes. And so, uh, because he was a broke actor after Star Trek, that he was typecast and he, he was... Yeah, he, he waited years to get T.J. Hooker. Yeah. And so, like three days, it seemed like three days after he went up in that uh, space capsule, uh, went up the Bezos capsule. The Bezos yeah. capsule. I'm I'm in an airport, I'm waiting for a flight, and they had some kiosk, and they had neck pillows, and I saw a picture of the Shat wearing wearing a the pillow. neck pillow, pillow, and he's in his astronaut outfit already, already, and going, you know, when you're, you know, it had some Shatner quote about. When I travel, I always use this neck pillow. It's like, that's the shat. How how in the world could anybody uh, pitch a product? Even I am left gaping and astonished. Isn't that great? And then I saw him on TV before that for a CPAP cleaning device. So you put the thing on your nose and like, well, when you need to clean your CPAP, you put it in this CPAP. See, what, what I say is politics aren't bad. I've never met a better capitalist. I love it. John, it is always a kick. I'm so glad you come by. A real pleasure. Thank you. All right. This is John Caldera. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend. You can listen to more episodes on all streaming services with new ones being released weekly. And remember, this is the audio from our television show. To watch the video version, just search the letters IITV 
for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations. 